0: You know, we have two passages to, for our Bible reading today. The first one is from Micah 7, verse 18 to 20. You can find, find that on page 760 in your pew Bible. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression, transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. Second reading is from 1 John 5, verse 11 to 13, on page 988. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Jerry. I will start in Micah 7 if you want to have your Bible open to that section of the reading. And uh, as we begin, please join me in praying. Lord, there are many days when, if we are honest, we are out of energy. We feel out of time. We feel exhausted. We feel hurt. We feel angered, we feel anxious, and Lord, at all these moments, at all these times, and all these ways that we might feel, you see us and you are with us. Christmas is a time where we hear that you are with us, Emmanuel, and today what we ask is that you being with us, I pray you would make known not only that you were with us by your presence, but also how much you deeply love us. The Lord, guide us as we look at the promises and witness in your scripture in Micah and in 1 John, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. To be human is to need love. You know, you could look at everything that is written about what it means to be human, and it is the ways, and you could distill it in a lot of ways by how I have been loved or the ways that I have also not been loved. Imperfectly loved, and then the brokenness and woundedness that comes from that. But it's all about love. It's about love. We're created for love, by love, and yet we exist often in places where we don't feel fully loved. We don't feel fully seen. And Christmas is a time where we behold a beautiful demonstration of God's love through Christ, God the Son, being born for us to eventually die for us on the cross. But it is all about this need that we have to be loved. And I saw this firsthand this week because my kids, like many kids over the past few weeks around Edmonton or really anywhere, cold season, they were sick. So if you've had, if, you, if you've if you been around kids, when they get sick, they, um you know, they suddenly get really snuggly. They really, they actually, you know, kids that don't want to snuggle, it's like, oh, I think I actually want mom and dad to hang around if you want. I think I am going to lie down. But no, don't leave the room. Stay with me if you can. And, and it's, it, Christy and I joke, it's almost like immediately the sickness comes and the umbilical cord's reattached or something like that. Like, it's like you're glued to it. And. <laughs> It reveals that when, whether you're a kid or when you're an adult, when you're at a place of your greatest need, you want to be closest as possible to the person or thing you think will provide for your need. When you are at a place of your greatest need, you want to be close to the person who will provide for you the greatest need. And there's a quote that I wanna share by A.W. Tozer because who we think who God is really matters. When you hit this point of devastation, of great need, depression, of crisis in your life, who do you run to? And it impacts very much who you think God is in that moment of crisis. A.W. Tozer says this, low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. If I have a low view of God, that when I am of great need, I don't actually run to him. I might actually try to fix it myself. I might actually try to run to someone else, so I think this person might help me with my problem. When actually, if I truly am in need, the Lord is the only one to run to. The Lord is the only one to seek after because the Lord is the only one who truly loves me perfectly. We've been in this series where we've been looking at different gifts for Christmas, and we have different you know, actual demonstrations of them here, and perhaps some of them are connected with you, and perhaps some of them haven't. But the goal in having gifts, even something as simple as a heart and a cross or a pillow, it's these gifts that help us see the gift of Jesus in Christmas, just to help us understand a little bit more. And so we're thinking about love this morning, this idea that God's love came down into the world through Jesus, born for us, born for you, that you might have a relationship with him. And so what I'd like to do this morning as we reflect on this theme is I want to look through a, f- a few qualities of who God is, but specifically what God's love is like. Because if we have a low view of God, we're not going to actually run from it. But if we have a big view and un- a true understanding of who God is, we are going to run to him. And that's why I wanted to reflect a little bit on Micah 7. Because in these few verses, is, there is, it's describing who God is and why he is the source of this ultimate gift of love. And so I want to read these things and think through, okay, who is God, so that I can start to understand what it means to open up his gift of love. And the first thing I want to say about Micah is that Micah is this Old Testament book. It's a book book from one of the minor prophets named Micah, and it's a book about the prayer for the future because the people are dealing with conflict, they're, they're dealing with struggle. We're at the very end of the book, that passage that Jerry read for us, it's the last few verses of the book in the last section of the book, is a hymn. It's a hymn, like one of these Advent hymns we would sing. It's, it's a hymn. And in this hymn, we're actually looking at the last stanza. But if you looked, you know how if different verses in song have different themes? So I'm going to tell you the different themes of the song, and then we're going to look at the last theme of the song. The first theme of the song is the, that the people are confessing that they have an enemy coming against them. That's what the first few verses are talking about. They're, they're asking for their shepherd to come to them because they have an enemy coming against them. And in Zion, which is the people of God, the future people of God, the future people of God are going to find salvation as part of God's flock. God talks to them like they are his sheep. And then all the enemies in question are going to have to submit to the rule and reign of God. This is eventually, because the people that Micah is directly talking to are about to go in exile. They are about to be imprisoned and taken away from their homeland. This is a future promise. It's a future promise that still stands for you and I. And then the last last part of this hymn that's in this book of prophecy This is what what the language is telling us. The people are celebrating the wonder of God who forgives sin by hurling the sins in the ocean, and it's so that he will fulfill his promises to his people. So there are three qualities in these verses. I'm going to read the verse as I talk about each quality it describes, but the first quality is that God who we read in Scripture, the God who is born on Christmas, is the incomparable God. He's incomparable. And what that means is you can't compare him to any other God. You might be tempted to compare. They live in a time when there's lots of gods that people are saying, well, my God's bigger than this God. But we live in a day where we have, we, we, you can live in the street and have people who observe different religions. And then we also have different idols. Maybe you, they don't have a, they're not religious per se, but you can easily make a God out of anything you worship. Whatever people worship, it's incomparable to the God of Scripture, the God of Christmas. This is verse 18. This is what it says. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You delight to show mercy. It's very counter what you think a God might be from an ancient perspective, but even a modern perspective that a God would be inclined to show mercy, and is beyond any other God in the world. This is the God that is born for us in Christmas. The second quality is the forgiving God, and you already heard it in that verse, that this kind of God being described to us is a God that delights to show mercy, which is not always us, but this is the God who we're called to worship. And this forgiving God is not only comparable, but he forgives in incredible ways. He actually, it, what it describes in verse 19 is his compassion leads him to take the sins of the people around and to cast them into the ocean. Now, I, in my mind, I think, well, won't that just like come back at me if I to cast them in the ocean? But the poetry of it is saying otherwise. To cast it in the ocean is to say, I will never see you again, it will be gone completely forever. Verse 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That imagery, the depths of the sea. Think of any mistake you've made in your life, anything you would see as sin, anything that you know is a wrong to, your, to a friend or family member or to God, and that to be cast out in the sea and to be gone forever. That is the kind of forgiving love this God is, that was born for us at Christmas. And the last quality is this. He's not only incomparable from anything else you could worship, he's not only forgiving in an incredible, mystifying way to the ancient world and modern world, but he is also the unchanging God. That he doesn't just demonstrate this kind of amazing love in one instance, not even just one time like on a manger or on a cross, but he sustained that love through the beginning of time to what will be the completion of time, the unchanging God. God expresses his love through consistent and personal ways, and that's what this last verse in Micah 7 tells us. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago, and you could insert your own name there. These are the, the, the patriarchs of the Israelite people, but the point is that he personally commits himself to love to people throughout all of history. He's faithful to Chris. He's faithful to John, to Betty, to Everett, to Christy, to Christina. He's faithful to all the different individual people part of this church and throughout the whole history of the church. And and he's faithful, but he's also unchanging. He does not change his ways. The God is unchangeable in character and in purpose. And this is the God who was born for us at Christmas. Because it was always the plan. Ever since the fall, ever since sin and evil entered into the world, distorting the nature of humans from Adam and Eve on, it was the plan that God would come himself to bring us home to live a life we couldn't live. It was the plan. And so this gift of love is this, that this kind of God that features these different qualities, this idea that this guy loves, God loves in an incomparable way. He loves in a forgiving way. He loves in an unchangeable way. This is the gift expressed telling us exactly what this love is, how God loves. And it is so not like us. I try so hard to be a loving father, and at the same time I have to confess, ooh, I I really failed that today. Or my part, my spouse, my wife, Christy. You know, I don't always love her well. I think of my family beyond. I think of my brothers, sisters in this church or someone I just meet in the street. I don't always love well, and I certainly don't love like God. But this is not God at all. The gift expressed in Jesus is that he loves us in this exact way. And it's not just in an abstract intellectual sense. It's personal. He loves you. He loves you. And I started off by saying, as humans, we need love because, to be honest, we kind of resist being love at the same time. We resist the thing we need most. We resist it. We've been loved in imperfect ways, so we understand and we push back. We protect ourselves from ways we've been hurt in the past. And yet God is there, perfectly loving, perfectly present, and we have not quite opened up that gift entirely. Some of us, that gift is not just about opening up a bag and ripping a bunch of tissue paper everywhere, but that gift is about trusting Jesus. It's about trusting that he was born for us, that he born to live a life we could not live, and he died a death that was ours, and trusting him that that is the life that we ultimately need for us. Some of us have opened that gift of faith. Lord, I trust you. I believe you did do this for me that you were born, that you lived for me, and you died for me. And some of us haven't made that decision yet. Or some of us made that decision and are in a different place of life, wondering what does that mean today? In all cases, we are invited together. We're all part of this gathering in this moment in time. We're invited together to open this gift together and to receive it. And there's one way that I'd like to, to think about this. And part of this, one of the, what this comes from is that I, I got a random call from someone at the church this week. It's not anyone to my knowledge has ever attended Bethel. Sometimes when you're at a church, you just get some random calls. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a woman who was really distressed. And what she was distressed about and she wanted to talk about was that she was really concerned about whether she was saved or not. She was really concerned about whether she was saved or not. She was trying to understand her faith. I don't even know how long she would have considered herself to be following Jesus. I don't know that. But what I do know is that she kept, she was feeling guilt from feeling like she had messed up a couple times, and she wasn't showing herself the same grace and love that God shows all of us. She was kind of dealing in this imperfect love space of like, you know, I keep is, is there a difference between whether I struggle every now and then sinning or I make a habit of it? And, you know, those are different things. But I told her it doesn't matter. That doesn't change God's love for you. If the gospel, the good news about Jesus, was up to how good of a life you could live, I don't think it would really actually be that good news for any of us. The good news for you, this is what I told her, is that it doesn't matter. Because God loves you no matter how it shows up. And the fact that you feel this conflict is not a license for you to guilt yourself, but it's actually an opportunity for you to receive the grace God wants for you, that you will fall short, that you will not live to the standard you feel like you should live. It's because Jesus lived it. And instead, what that is an invitation to for you is to say, Jesus lived the life that I need, and this is his love for me. One of the things that I I asked myself as we were worshiping, because I think with what I want to do next, I wanted to share this part. Like, I asked myself, have I ever doubted Jesus? Have I ever doubted God? And in truth, I'd have to say I have. I mean, I grew up as a Christian. I grew up in a family very involved in ministry, always involved in church. But when it comes to that crisis, to that time of great need, have I doubted? Of course I have. Because you know, as much as we're called to trust God in the midst of not knowing every single answer because we certainly won't, there are times that I was tempted to not say, you know, is that really the, quite the good that God wants for me? But then that's always in the place of fear. That's always in the place of saying, I'm not worthy of love. That's always in the place of saying, you know, th- can't I just control my life and not be yielded over to a God who loves me and wants the best for me, which is not what I want for myself? I think all, all of us, if we're honest, in our following of Jesus have these moments of crisis. But when we come back together to worship, when we come back before the Lord, what takes place? We are reunited with God. We're reminded of who he is. We're reminded of his love and grace. And instead of acting in imperfect lo- love or acting in shame, shame which causes us to run away from God, we act in trust. Uh, Paul, Paul talks about this, this one verse in, um, in 2 Corinthians 13. He's talking to a church that's conflicted about what does it mean to follow Jesus, and they have different teaching going on. But 2 Corinthians 13 says this, Examine yourself to see whether you are in faith. Examine yourself. So I'm thinking, if I'm a person in crisis, how do I examine myself? Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And so I think one of the things I want to invite us to is not only behold who God is, all the qualities of his love. He's unchangeable. He's incomparable. He's forgiving. But also, how do I take that into my life, practically? How do I take that, especially when I am experiencing points of doubt How do I actually say, you know, Lord, I I do trust you. And I do want to think about how much I'm trusting you. How much am I actually opening up this gift and saying, this is a gift worth living every ounce of my being for. And I read an Advent devotional this week um, by um, an author named Jared Wilson. He's a pastor and professor. It's called Gifts of Grace. It's really been helpful for me thinking about this series. And he asked three questions that I want to ask us this morning as part of this examining of our hearts? How much have we truly opened up this gift of love and actually put it in our lives? And there are just a few questions. I won't spend too much time on it, but I, you know, ask yourself this. And maybe you want to write these down and think about them this week. How much do these questions true for me? They're more or less questions if that makes sense. So the first one's this. What satisfies your soul more? What satisfies your soul more? The eternal or the earthly? What satisfies your soul more? The eternal or the earthly? And I think about this because I'm a person that I, don't, I really would prefer to be in control with the spaces I'm in. I would prefer to be living into comfort. I think a lot of us shy away from discomfort and oftentimes, the earthly things are the quick things to go. They're so quick. Oh, I can get that. I can get whatever kind of snack I want from, from the store. I can do whatever I want with my family. I can get away on the vacation that I want to. But those are earthly things in a lot of ways. What does it look like to seek satisfaction for eternal purposes? I mean, this is what this whole book is about, and God's love leads us to this, this idea that if I'm living in life with God, I'm not just living into a reality that's just going to pass away, but I'm living into something that will last for forever. And it speaks about God's incomparable nature, that the eternal qualities that God's offered all of us right now, they will last for forever. They won't fade. It speaks to God's incomparableness, if that makes sense. And so, it brings up the question which First John is asked, and that's why I had Jerry read it for us. It's like, what do you ultimately find hope and fulfillment? Because that will tell you what you're seeking satisfaction for. It might be how busy you can do, your success in your work, how your family looks. It could be all these things. But this is the testimony First John tells us about, which is connecting us exactly to what happened when God was born in the manger. And this is the testimony, First John 5, 11. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the testimony God, born in a manger, God who dies for us, is resurrected, gives eternal life to people. And if we are in life with him, then that life is ours. It's what brings ultimate satisfaction to the soul. But there are many other things you might be tempted to chase after to feed that need. What satisfies your soul more, the eternal or the earthly? The second question is this. What do you hate more, sin or its consequences? What do you hate more, sin or its consequences? I think you start with the, the second before you get to the first. And what I mean by that is day one, when you're trying to talk about, oh, that wasn't a good thing to do, say with a child or something like that. You, it's, very, it's hard to avoid not starting with consequences because you can't even talk about why that might not have been good or not when you're dealing like, you just punched that poor child in the face. That person's going to hurt. That, also, that person's going to be angry at you and hurts you later maybe, hopefully not. Um, it's the consequences. We start, we start off dealing with consequences in life. And even maybe the consequences which lead us to understand, no, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better life to meet consequences we face. But what Scripture tells us is that, you know, as we believe in Jesus and follow Him, we're gifted the Holy Spirit, and it gives us what the Bible describes as a new heart, a new nature. Imagine you having a new heart. It even describes that heart as being softer, gentler. And in that new heart, you not only start to realize, these, these, this way of life is not good. I don't have to do this. I don't need to do this or do that. You start to shy away from the things that bring about poor consequences. But you also, your your new nature starts to kick in, and you start to realize that it's not just the consequences I don't, I, I hate, but I hate the sin itself. Sin is, you know, you know, if I could just give a little bit of a definition, sin is doing wrong to myself and to others before God, doing harm to myself or others before God. And actually, as I'm living in life with Jesus, I'm opening up this gift. The more and more I open it up, the more and more I make it part of my life, the more and more I start to not just hate the consequences of sin, I hate sin itself. I say, I see how this is an offense to God. This, is, this harms me. This harms other people. But it changes. That's a question to ask yourself. Do it do I actually does not like sin, or do I just fear its consequences? But either way, we know, and the Spirit testifies to this for us, that God has forgiven us. Remember God's forgiving nature of love that meets us as we reflect on this. And the third question is this. What do you want more? So what satisfies your soul, the eternal or earthly the more what do you hate more sin or its consequences or what do you want more Jesus or a way to get to heaven that if this life if worship today if the church if the gospel is just about getting to heaven i believe the bible is talking about something much more than that it is ultimately about beholding god himself incarnate in christ fully and perfect love and actually not just beholding him, but following him in his life and wanting him more and more and more. Not just traditions, not just systems, not just events and programs. No, it is the person of God revealing the heart of God, Jesus. What do you want more? Growing up and the, just the, the process of church, it shouldn't be enough for any of us. It is God at the center who helps us understand that we are loved and also that he loves the world and desires for that love to touch and transform and heal the world around us. It is a personal focus on who God is and how he loves. And it's not just a means to an end, getting to heaven. No, it is a gift to receive a person, Jesus. And, since, and one, one of the ways I wanted to focus on this love is also kind of like what I just let you in on in the sense of like, I'm a person who's experienced doubt, doubt in my life, as I think you have in some way or not, is that the words of Scripture and the good news and the way God talks about love as unfailing gives us confidence and assurance that nothing will ever separate us from God's love. That even when I am tempted to doubt, it doesn't take away the true reality of the fact that Jesus has died for me and the assurance of salvation and rescue I have in him. I'm going to have my rough moments. You will have your rough moments. But God is incomparable, forgiving, and unchangeable and will not let you go even in the midst of those moments. So how do you apply this? I'm going to do three simple points for how do you apply. If you're wondering, you asked yourself those questions. you think, I could be different ways on those questions sometimes, which I am as well. Well, what do you do? What do you do with that? Well, if God's love is forever, and, and, and I think Christmas carols have a way of drawing this out. The different songs we sing around this year draw this out. I quoted um, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear last um. Last week, I'm going to quote another part of it, which gave me the title of this message. And it's this, it came upon a midnight clear says this, look now for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. Look now, it's this image of looking up. That God and his love coming down to the world is calling us to look up. Look outside of super snowy winter wonderland out there. Look outside of your home. Look outside of your workplace. Look outside of the conflicts you keep bumping into and the discouragement you feel. Look outside of those things and look up. I mean, we're, even Kathy, she read a passage from Revelation. It's like, look and behold The promise, and you can hear the voice of God from heaven, look up to the promise of Christ's return, that he will come again for us, that he will come. If you feel stuck, you feel shrouded in darkness, maybe you feel like you're experiencing a lot of doubt about your faith. Look up to the God who has promised to come to you. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to meet you with your questions, with your doubts. Meet him there. He will. He will and wait for him to come to you. Look now for glad golden hours. It's words of hope. It's words of hope that he is coming and that you, if you can just manage to rest, manage to ask, manage to look up, you will hear the angels sing. That's one way to open up this gift. The next way is this, to look within yourself. It's hard to deal with doubt if you're not allowing yourself to see that you're experiencing it. It's hard to actually if you you have to give yourself permission to actually notice and be curious about the things happening in your mind and your heart. What are the things that are obstructing you from receiving God's love? It's I mean, it it's it's very real for all of us, if we're gonna be honest, of things like, Am I really worthy of this love? Every time someone tries to love me, it hurts. Is that how God loves me? You know what are the things that gets in the way? You know, I I get in this web of relationships and with God, and I just feel like the same conflicts happen. I would prefer just to not deal with it. Or the church—it's a place of hypocrisy. You know, there's a lot of really messed up sinners in there. I was like, I sure expect there would be for us to be honest, because none of us are perfect. All of us need to be loved. But you have to look within yourself. What are the things you're doing? Think of those questions. What earthly pleasures do I go to that are just coping? You know, it's just, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to read this. I'm going to keep myself busy so I don't feel, so I don't think. That's not opening the gift of love. Look within yourself. Look up and look within yourself. And then the last one is to look around. I mentioned I was, I got my voice got tired because I was singing O Holy Night yesterday. There's a, there's a verse in O Holy Night that always packs the punch for me. It's this. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break for the slave is our brother. In his name, all oppression shall cease. Truly, he taught us to love one another. It's not just looking up at who God is, the promised king for you. It's not just looking within yourself, dealing and praying for your demons inside. No, it's looking around. It doesn't just stop with you and God, that the love of the gospel, the love that we opened up at Christmas, this is a gift that doesn't just stay with you and I. We are taught to bless those around us. We are taught to love one another sacrificially. And even this language from Holy Night talks about reconciling with one another because God insists that we make peace in this world and not harm and devastation freeing people. It's actually language of liberation and freedom, thinking about people in bondage for slavery. There are real people that are oppressed around us in our community through social restraints, and there's also real people around us and in this room that are oppressed by lies, by shame, by darkness, and we are called to set each other free in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit through the heart of the Father who loves each of us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Those are the things that I would say, go and do. Look up. Look within yourself and look to one another. And those questions, they, they are kind of a litmus test of how much have I opened up this gift to myself and how much more do I need to open it up, especially this week. When we think about worshiping in the midst of being with family, in the midst of the services we have, it is about worshiping around the God of hope joy, peace, and love that has been perfectly expressed in Jesus. And it is not just a grift that I'm, gonna, I'm trying to say you, that is you, you really want this. It is actually the gift that we all need. So please pray with me. Lord, I just pray as we reflect on the Christmas story of Christ being born, that you help us more and more see how you came and were born for us each. Lord, in that birth, in a humble manger in the midst of many different powers and forces trying to reject you and reject Jesus, that birth expresses your love in a beautiful and perfect way. And so, Lord, some of us, we uh, have heard a message about, um, about your love and about a gift of faith, and we could be in all different kinds of places, But Lord, I pray that in your mercy, you would prompt us by your spirit to say yes to you. And if that's you this morning, Lord, sitting with us or worshiping with us at home, I just would encourage you to say yes to the Lord. Maybe just to say to yourself, Lord, I believe you love me and you care for me and you died for me. And I do want to follow you with my life. And perhaps all of us need to pray those words that we do want to follow you with all of our life. We do believe you love us. I don't doubt that. Lord, help us to receive this gift and walk in it, not try to find better answers, but to actually use the gift you've given us because it is all we need. Thank you for your grace, mercy, and peace. Thank you that you don't change. Thank you that you forgive us. And may we live in freedom today, not in guilt, in freedom for how you love us, Father. Thank you that you came and that you were born for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.